Reading of Psalms 45. Your throne, O God, is forever. To the choir master, according to Lilith, a muscle of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, string instruments make, make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honour. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the riches of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With, glad, with joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. This is God's word. Thank you, Belinda, for reading scripture for us today. And a very good day to you, GBC. I am intentionally um, not stating the time so that this can be used. But good day to you. It is uh, such a joy to bring to you God's word. My name is Jonathan, and I am one of the elders here at GBC. Today, we will be reading Psalm 45. Um, and I don't know how you're feeling right now, but you know, for the past two weeks, it has been a great pleasure to be going through the Psalms, this small series that we have been uh, just uh, reading through. And the title is The King and, and His People. Indeed, how apt it is for us you know, in these uncertain times to be pondering this topic. Some of us might feel like we are languishing, some of us dislocated from God's people. 
Some of us feel burnt out and, and tired. John Calvin said something to the effect of, there is not an emotion you can feel that is not articulated in the Psalms. And so in some ways, the Psalms are a textbook for our soul. Church, we have not met in person for some 20 plus days now. The longer we are apart, seems the easier to forget aspects of who we are. So, who are we? And who are we to one another? As we meditate on this last psalm of this mini-series, I pray that you would invite the Holy Spirit to teach you, to speak to you through his inspired word. Before I go any further, just some uh, small key things to orientate us to. When talking about the emotion, sometimes our first initial response is to suppress it or to just shut it down. But actually, our emotions are windows into who God is because Scripture describes God as having emotions. He has fear, anger. He has anger, sorry, not fear. Anger. He feels jealousy, joy. Just to name a few, but but God desires just as um, us, God desires for us as his people to be able to be full emotional beings and just the way that he made us. And it is okay to feel emotionals, em- emotions fully because that is how we can sub- put it under God's word and process it and begin to become more and more like him. So I encourage you as we read today's psalm to let yourself feel the joy of this wedding psalm. The next slide, please. Today's psalm as Belinda read to us, and as Yanadi and, and Ollie explained, it is to the choir master, which is talking about a collection of psalms. It is according to the lilies, which is probably a tune um, that this was set to. And it is written by the sons of Korah, which, who, were, who were worship leaders in, in God's temple. But there is a small hint of, of what this psalm is about at the end, and it says it is a love song. It is indeed a royal wedding song that was commissioned to commemorate this huge event. So today's outline we have from verses 1 to 9, admire God's anointed king. From verses 10 to 15, delight in God's affectionate king. And finally, 16 to 17, see God bless his king. As we read verse 1, and we we get a glimpse of this psalmist's um, heart state, which is something that we rarely get, where where the psalmist, in a sense, looks to you as the reader and, and, and tells you about where he's at. He says, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. It opens with this psalmist declaring the state of his heart, and my heart is bubbling over, it is spilling over with this pleasing theme The thought of this royal wedding brings him joy that overwhelms him. This stirs him into song and he puts his feelings into words. It is a song for his king. We get a rare view in this and and I, I think this shows how he is ecstatic in his joy, right? He is eager, he is ready to address his king on his wedding day. Something this psalm was first composed for, for Solomon originally, 
But it's, it's, not it's, it's quite impossible to be sure, and, and we don't have to be too caught up about it. We know after what Elder Bay read for us in 2 Samuel, that God's covenant with David is, is now given to, to him, and, and it is where his line would be promised, and, and that, that lineage to which God would bless his people, and that this psalm is addressed, we know, to one of these Davidic kings. So we can read it with that in mind. This addressing the king starts with addressing his, the king's outward um, masculine beauty. It says, you are the most handsome of men. There aren't many parts of scripture that you know, celebrate the physical beauty of, of, of men. And it can seem superficial to talk about. But we do hear it used to describe the early Davidic kings. Um, we hear it talked about for being addressed to David and, and Solomon. They're described as being handsome in appearance. The handsomeness of God's appointed king reveals the personal excellence that is ascribed to this king. This physical form, you know, of which men have, have no control over, right? It is given to God, is given by God, just like the superior gifts that he possessed, this king possesses internally. We get a glimpse of this king's external beauty that begins to draw us in, and we look at this picture of perfect ideals bound up in God's appointed man. So what, is, what about his beauty? You know, the, the, the following verses kind of elaborate that to us. Verse 2 talks about grace, his, his words that, that drip with grace. You know, when the king opens his mouth, his words drip with grace. The room quietens itself down in order to hear his words that give life. This is not a king whose words are dreaded, who people are bored of hearing. This is not a king who speaks and, and, and instills fear for no reason. But the words that, that um, allure, his words that are spoken are words that allure his people into obedience through his eloquence. So we are given a glimpse into the beauty of this king's words. In verse 3, we, give, we get a picture of, of, of how he calls his king, you know, gird your sword on your thigh, almighty one. This is um, a picture, I guess, of the readiness of our king, of, of the king. The sword that is girded on the king's side is, of course, the sword that is ready to be used. It is not an ornamental sword that is polished and put on the mantle. It is a sword that is ever at the ready, sharpened for the use of his king. This is a king that is ready to ride out for his people. The subjects of this king can then live in peace and prosperity because of the security that this king brings. The enemies of this king are deterred because of Israel's mighty defender that is at the ready. We get a glimpse and we can admire the readiness of this king. Verse 4 talks about this king's exploits, his warring. This king's exploits are, of course, 
victorious, as we just sang from the, from the worship team that just led us in. You know, we, we sang about how victorious it is. It is described, however, very unconventionally in the later section. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. The king does not conquer evil with evil, but this king conquers evil with good. Where there is deceit, this king rides out that truth might triumph. Where there is pride and arrogance, this king rides out to meet it in battle with meekness that gentleness might win. Where there is wickedness, this king fights for the cause of righteousness to prevail. So we get a a glimpse and we can admire this king for his exploits. And finally in verse 5, as if it's not long enough, we get to admire the beauty of this king's effectiveness in war. What the king sets his mind to do is effective just like the way his arrows find their targets in the heart of his enemies. Your arrows are sharp in the hearts of your enemies. So we get a glimpse of how effective this king is with his warring. What a list, you know, what, you know, just a perfect bachelor king. Verse 6, though, takes a turn. And, and this, if you thought the first list was impressive, verse t- 6 talks about, he's still addressing this king, your throne, but he calls and addresses him, O God, it's forever and ever. The psalmist exclaims about this, you know, calls him God and exclaims this eternal duration of this king's throne because of his uprightness. It is a rule that is, as we, are, we, we read the scepter, it is a rule that is not corrupt. It is a rule that is not self-serving. The king loves justice and righteousness within his government. The king executes his God's given role to rule by actively rooting out wickedness. This king is also not negligent or he is not slow to punish crimes. He is actively celebrating and upholding righteousness. And because of this, of his king, God anoints, God's anointing is on his king. And there is a distinction here, right, in verse 7. God, your God. So the God king is anointed by his God. This God is not, this king is not a king that usurped the throne and somehow wrestled this position out of his opponent. This is a king that was anointed for his rule by the living God. He is appointed by God. You know, as we, as we just read about how he addresses this king, this, how the psalmist addresses this king, we are left to think, wow, you know, what a, what a, what a, what a man. 
But actually, if we continue to read the Old Testament, we are not left to only admire at, at this human king because they are, they are ultimately flawed, is what we find. They ultimately fail us. The perfect ideals of kings start to fall apart when we consider even the life of the most celebrated of Davidic kings, Solomon. His life ends in the fall to sin and idolatry as he took on the traditions of the nations around him. He was worshipping the gods of his wives. Reading the Psalms today, we are left to ask this question, so then who is this perfect king? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, Paul lifts these exact words in in verse 6 and 7, he lifts them and he uses them to describe who? The Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that helps us to see that in, in the verses in Hebrews that, that this Son is ultimately, this, this King is ultimately addressing Christ. Before that though, in Hebrews verse uh, 3 to 4, we are given this view of, of, of who Christ is and what he's done. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Paul uses this to talk about how this Christ is worthy, more, far more superior than any angelic beings in heaven. Christ, dear church, is the, the, the Davidic Messiah, the Anointed One, who lived a sinless life and died obediently on the cross for sinners like us. Because of his obedience, he is the anointed one who is raised to life and is seated at the right hand of God, who reigns over his eternal kingdom in perfect righteousness. Dear GBC, this Christ, the King, anointed by God, he does not let us down like earthly kings. His words of grace upholds the universe. He is the king that defends us against the grips of sin and death. He speaks a word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. He is the meek king, gentle and lowly in heart. He woos us to submit rather than wielding a sword of fear. And what he sets out to do will surely be accomplished. So we have a two-year-old daughter called Kazumi. Um, me and my wife, of course. Um, and she still wakes up at night. Um, and she ne needs to be comforted. So my wife and I, we have our shifts. Well, my wife Kyoko does most of the shifts. Um, she does the horrible one at 4 a.m., and I'm the lucky one to do the one at 11 a.m. 
Um, and as I w- was prepping for this sermon, uh, there aro- arose an a, uh, occasion where I had to put her to sleep. And as we always do, uh, we go in and we, we don't carry her, we just pray, pray with her out loud. And apparently my prayers were too short, so she kept saying, Papa, pray, pray more. So I decided, why don't I just you know, recite my sermon to her and practice that on her? And that seemed to do the trick. So she fell asleep, um, and, and that was my duty done. But I think the point here that I'm trying to bring is that sometimes you may be like BBK. You may be um, awoken at night feeling scared and alone. Sometimes you might be feeling scared of the monsters in the closet. But I think just like the way that she listened and heard about who her glorious king looks like, I pray for you today that you might feel a sense of peace knowing that this king that rules over you is one that is beautiful, one that is perfect, anointed, and set apart by God. I, know, I hope that that would give you lasting rest. GBC, I don't know where you are this morning, or it's not morning, I was not meant to say that, um, but I don't know where you are. I don't know how you feel. Do you feel irritated hearing this you know, joyous, joyous royal song, you know, just so full of joy? You know, maybe you're not feeling very well. You're, not, you're pretty anxious about the COVID situation around us right now. Maybe you cannot muster up joy this morning because of inner struggles. But let me remind us today that it was also not easy for Israel to sing these psalms, put ourselves in the shoes of Israel as they were exiled in Babylon. The walls of Jerusalem just in rubbles, the temple laid to waste. How did they sing, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever? When no king could be seen on the throne, how could they sing that? They had to cling tightly to the covenant God made with David. They had to trust in his faithfulness to his people. They would have to live by faith and sing this psalm by faith, all the while looking to God continuously for his provision of this true king that will one day come and fulfill this psalm in full. Today we have the benefits of the gospel and we know that Christ, after atoning for our sins, is now ruling and reigning as God's anointed king. GBC, will you take the time today and admire your king? And not just today, but every day, would you intentionally pull your gaze to look at this perfect anointed king? Would you smell the fragrance of his robes and have that capture your mind again? So, 
that is, admire God's anointed king. In the next section, we read about how this princess bride is called to delight in God's affectionate king. We are in verses 10 to 15. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. So, a royal wedding psalm, but we haven't quite heard about this princess that much until now. And we're left wondering, so who is this princess bride that gets to marry this eligible king? Who is she? Well, we'll soon find out, but the, the, the psalmist here clearly finds it very pressing to get her attention. He says, hear. He says, consider and incline your ear. All three things trying to get her attention for something very important, I presume. What does he say? He says, forget your people and your father's house. Forget your people and your father's house. What does that mean? You know, we, you, he's saying you are coming into this marriage with a whole lot of baggage. You know, an entirely different value system. Forget the customs and traditions of your land. Forget the gods of your father's house. Your new allegiance lies with your groom king now. What comes to mind is the story of the Moabite Ruth and, and out of love and loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she says, your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. She made a commitment to leave behind her people and her God. But the difference here is that for the princess bride in our psalm today, she is going to marry the anointed king who is fully and utterly worthy. The psalmist is calling her to delight in your king. The royal wedding emphasizes even more clearly this parting and new beginnings that are foundational to all marriage. In Ephesians 5 verse 31, it talks of how a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The difference here for our princess bride is that she is the one that is called to leave and cleave. The psalmist's urging of the princess comes from a genuine knowledge of his king, though. He says about his king, then he will desire your beauty. He will love you and he will cherish you. You will not be shortchanged in any way. You will not have any need that cannot be met. And in verse 12, the people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts. Not just by any people, but the riches of all people will come before you, O Princess Bride. Hear, O daughter, hear, O Princess Bride, fully Lean in and commit to your groom king and he will bless you with his affection and you'll be more well off than you can ever imagine. But Ephesians 5.32 actually continues after the passage of leaving and cleaving to say that it does not end 
in the couple themselves, but this marriage picture actually points to the relationship between Christ and his church. If Christ is the affectionate king, we the church, the people of God corporately, we are the bride. That means all of us, young and old, healthy and ailing in in health, single, married, widowed, divorced, we are all part of the bride of Christ. And sometimes as a, as a man, it seems strange to think of in, in, that, in those terms. But this is the way that the Bible is describing it. So, dear GBC, what does it look like for us today to forget our Father's house? What baggage do we bring into this relationship with Christ? What is our value system that is at odds with and that is in competition with our king. It could be idolatry of other gods, the gods of career, the gods of children, the gods of good things, relationships, ministry, and comfort. Dear Bride of Christ, this passage says, forget them. Repent of them and turn to follow him daily. As good as they are, they cannot fill the place of God in your heart. They will not fully satisfy. Look to this affectionate king daily. Turn away from sin daily and may you find your full satisfaction in him. 2 Corinthians 11 also tells us that we as the church are engaged to Christ. And as the book of Revelations gives us a picture of the wedding feast of Christ, when our marriage to Christ will be fully consummated. So we, the church, are now living as the betrothed of Christ, awaiting his coming. But this waiting is not one that is idle. This waiting, as in verse 13 of Psalm 45, gives us a picture of what this princess does while she awaits the wedding day. Next slide, please. Thank you. It tells us of how the princess is glorious, but she is glorious because of the robes that were put on her and given to her by her king. These robes are, are this, just this adornment chosen by him Specifically for her, radiant, interwoven with gold, in lavish colors that exquisitely, are exquisitely rare and stunningly beautiful. She is actively preparing herself for her king so that she can be the best of who she is for him. We also see the bride procession and that when they lead her, the bride um, procession, as they lead her to the king, they are full of joy and full of anticipation of each other, both the bride and the king. Friends, this is a picture of what it's like in the here and now, to prepare ourselves 
of our coming consummation with Christ, the King. As we pursue holiness, we do not do so mechanically, we do not do so begrudgingly, but joyfully because the King that we yearned to be with is entirely worth it. Because we know that we are being led to a King that awaits for us with great anticipation. You know, I think back to when I was engaged with Kyoko, my wife, and awaiting our wedding day, of course, the prospect of being with, with a, my radiant bride, starting life together, these were all wonderful things. And also, of course, not needing to travel from Tampines to Ginmo was a very welcome thought as well. He is the affectionate king that is desirous of us. He is looking forward to giving himself to us on that day when he comes again. Even more so than any human longing can, can, can go. This king desires your beauty. Dear church, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord today, I want to invite you to come and to join us as we turn away from our sins to follow Christ. Come and join the fold of God's imperfect bride as we adorn ourselves with his word and look forward to him coming again. Now I'm running out of time. So the last section that we see in the text is one of calling us to see this eternal blessing that God then puts joyfully on his king. We know this is talking to the king because the you and your are masculine. And he says, in your father's place shall be your sons. It speaks of how there are many blessings that will be put on this king. Blessings of offspring that will rule as princes with him. And the blessing of an, an eternal rule that will last through the ages. So if our gaze is only fixed on the here and now, dear GBC, I also want to bring your attention to this king that desires to be with us and how he will be blessed for all eternity to rule and reign. And we, as the church, the bride of Christ, will be by his side. Do not turn down his offer of marriage. Do not reject this offer. There is no one wiser than our king. There is no one richer than you can marry. There is no one handsomer. There is no one more valiant. There is no one more loving. There is no one that will last through all eternity. So who are we? We are the bride of Christ. Do not turn him down. Let us close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you as people that are so distracted. We are so um, just filled with anxiety so often. Lord, we pray that you will fill our gaze with your beauty today. 
Help us to see the infinite worth, the infinite beauty that is in you, our perfect anointed King. Lord, help us to turn away from our sin and to follow you and to turn towards you. Lord, may you help us to see that, Lord, you desire us and to be joyful knowing that you rejoice in us and you desire us when we turn to you. What a privilege to be your bride. Help us as we live with one another in your church to encourage each other as your corporate body, reminding each other of the ultimate day when we will be with you face to face. Let us not be distracted by anything lesser. In Jesus' name, I ask and pray. Amen.